Why aren't more young professionals choosing the advice Why industry? Why women staying in advice? In a job that you're more passionate about female than female in the financial industry, there are four males. best graduates to the financial advice what industry. practices and industry partners do? The most important thing is to have the discussion. Welcome to Her Advice. Join us as we speak with inspiring and diverse leaders within the Australian advice industry. Listen in as we examine how we can encourage future leaders and continue to see the financial advice industry thrive and be inspired as experts reflect on what the future of financial advice could be. Welcome, I'm Tara Sutton, State Director of Queensland at BT Financial Group. Before we begin today, I would like to acknowledge the traditional owners of the land on which we are recording, the Turbal people here in Brisbane, and pay our respects to Elders both past and present. Today, I'm joined by Cathy Havers of Iridian. Thanks for joining us today, Cathy. We're really looking forward to chatting to you. Many people in financial advice may know you with over 24 years experience as a financial advisor. You are an executive advisor at Viridian and lead the Viridian private office team in Victoria and Tasmania. Cathy, you are also a director of the Viridian Foundation and a founding director of Kindred Spirits Foundation, providing a hand up to Indigenous communities, disadvantaged and newly settled Australians, as well as people with disabilities and special needs. Welcome, Cathy. It's great to have you. Thanks so much, Tara, for having me and for that warm welcome. I'd also like to pay my respects to the Indigenous people on the land on which I work and live, which are the Wurundjeri people from the Kulin Nation based out of Melbourne, and pay my respects to their elders past, present and emerging. Look forward to our chat, Tara. Well, I'll kick straight off. Cathy, can you tell us all how you came to be a financial advisor and about the work you do at Viridian? Thanks, Tara. Well, my history goes back a long way. I actually had a career in banking. I was a branch manager and a lending, a regional lending manager actually in the country in the early 90s before financial advice was really even a thing in country areas. I think it existed a little bit in the city, but, but certainly not where I was. I then had two children and following going back to work after my second son, I joined an accounting practice and moved into advice then, which was really quite new in that area. I've since spent 25 years as an advisor, including 10 running my own practice and eight top and tailing that as a part owner in, in a much bigger business, one of which of course is Viridian where I am now. I joined Viridian because I, as a business owner, I'd been moved too far away from my passion, which was actually about advice and my clients into leadership and business development and marketing and HR and IT and all things that I probably wasn't the best at. I definitely wasn't the best CEO. So when I joined Viridian, I was able to get back to that specialty. And now I'm really focused on two key areas, and that is advice to clients who have specialist needs, including high net worth families and families who might have someone who's disabled or who's vulnerable. And I also lead the private office team in Victoria and Tasmania, as you said, Tara. But also I've got a role now as a more senior person in, in mentoring and training and growing our team and their capabilities both inside and outside Viridian. So really excited to have this chat with you. Right. So Kathy, did you say you were rural Victoria and mm. you're in the city? Is that right? Yeah, I'm a Gippsland girl originally. So now I live in the Yarra Valley, which is delightful. But we moved to Melbourne 20 years ago when my son 
started school. His name's Brady and he's quite severely autistic and disabled. And so it was about his schooling, the reason why we moved. I'm sure the country girl at heart is something that your clients appreciate about you. Kathy, if you're comfortable, would you mind telling us a little bit about Brady and how he has helped you become the businesswoman that you are today? Yeah, sure. He's Brady's now 25 years and I know because that's when I started in advice was when I went back to work after having had him. So over time, due to a lot of challenges and personal crisis of dealing with uh, having someone who's profoundly disabled at all different stages, you know, the pre-kinder, preschool, primary school, secondary, teenage years, and then being able to explore financial legal strategies that can be used to assist families because there is some good opportunities and there's some good legislation out there. I know a lot about the NDIS now, but that's only a more recent thing. Through all of that, I've been able to actually build, if you like, a specialist advice model and then I'm sorted out by external specialist lawyers and the like who might have someone. And it's not just about disability, it's actually just about people who are vulnerable and who can't take care of their own financial affairs. There's a lot of extensions to advice. The NDIS is one of those things and most of everything that I know about it is what I've learned from experience. I did spend... Uh, half of 2021 working in a not-for-profit on disability housing. 50% of my time and 50% still at Viridian. I wasn't sure where I was going with that, but I couldn't continue any longer. That turned out to be like two full-time jobs in two half-time capacities. But that role was really about increasing the amount of housing that's available for disabled people and getting young people out of nursing homes and the like. So the NDIS has been a godsend to anyone who has, you know, a young or older person with disability. And one thing that I tell other advisors, because I get questions on this all the time, is that it's not means tested, it's needs tested. So as soon as there is a need, then the NDIS will actually deliver on that. It really caters for people up to 65 years of age and then they go into the aged care system. So our role as advisors is being mindful of, you know, how, what do we do for young middle-aged people and, and how do we help them access those sorts of services and link them up with um, service providers, but also know that at some point those people are going to end up in the aged care system. So we'll need to have the financial resources still to fund that future. I suppose with the NDIS in mind, it's about supporting the whole family. So invariably it might be older parents who've got a 30 or 40 something year old disabled son or daughter, helping them navigate everything that is financial, you know, is a big part of what I bring to the table. Kathy, can you tell me are there plans to clone you because there needs to be more advisors like you? <laughs> well, I'm trying to, but I think Everyone can have their own unique client value proposition because they actually look deeply at who they are and and what's important to them. So, you know, a lot of us have different specialties to offer. And I've spoken at what is now the FAAA conference on advising vulnerable clients and dealing with things like elder abuse and people losing capacity or not having capacity. And I think it's that's actually a real thing from unfortunately many, many more clients as everyone starts to age that we all need to be in tune to and we can actually play a positive role in supporting clients and their family members who are dealing with things like that. Yeah. How did you find the ethics subject, Kathy? Given what you had been doing for years, did you find a lot of 
those situations came to the forefront in those ethical discussions? I think it's always top of mind. And one of the things, Tara, that I think about is we actually have to know what our own values are and be true to those values. So ethics and values are deep-seated tools that we can use for our decision-making and to guide us in more complex situations. So, yeah, I think raising ethics to the core and elevating that, if you like, as an industry is, I think, really important to how we deliver advice and meet the needs of really quite a diverse, you know, range of clients that we're all going to come across. I love that you've defined your niche client and it sounds as though your own real life experience has drawn you to that niche, but how do you become an expert in that niche? So I've done a lot of continuous study. So I've got a master's and I've done the company director's course, which has served me well for the not-for-profit stuff. So continuing to invest in ourselves has been really important, especially where it's an area of interest. But in terms of strategic advice, what I've learned most is sitting in on meetings with other professionals, such as lawyers, family lawyers, estate planning lawyers, accountants, et cetera, and working as part of the team because we're working on a real client situation and we're actually setting about some of the strategy and the best outcomes together. So I'm not a lawyer and I'm not an accountant, but I, I feel like I've got a good grounding in a lot of those strategies. Can you tell me what is the best thing about being a financial advisor? Really, it is about ensuring people are best positioned to take control of their finances and basically set themselves up for for what's important to them and their families. I'm honoured to be part of their lives and their family's life. The little things make a big difference over the long term. A couple of weeks ago, I actually received a a lovely one-liner, I'm going to call it, of thanks from a really long-time client. And they said the best financial decision they've made was partnering with me. And when someone says something like that to us as advisors, we are making a really measurable difference and it really spurs you on to help more people. So it's nice to hear. Yeah, well done. So Kathy, you've been an advisor for over 20 years in banking and finance for much longer than that. As a woman in the industry, 2023, do you think it's a more diverse industry now? I'm going to say no. I haven't seen a lot of change, unfortunately, over that period of time, which is really quite sad. Maybe we've gone from 10% representation to 20 over that time, but there hasn't been enough progression and diversity is still not where it needs to be at all levels. So we've got some way to go. And so having some focus on how we achieve some diversity and having some different strategies and really trying to move that dial a little bit is still really important to all of us. You mentioned that you're in a leadership position in many forms now. Are you a mentor to someone? Not a full mentor. I would say more of an advocate. So we have internal and some external groups where we can kind of all support each other. And I think as women, we often do feel a little bit more isolated. So we all kind of need to reach out to others and stay connected, even if their roles are quite different. So certainly at Verinian, we have quite a cross-section of women in different roles from board members to execs to senior advisors to client service managers in other roles. And we try to, I guess, have a number of forums where we can actually all connect with each other because we are still quite in the minority and that's been really important to me and I think it's really important to everybody too because we all have our moments and being able to 
lean on each other when we need to and support someone else in, you know, when they need help too is a real thing that we need. It sounds as though you allow those around you to bring their whole selves to work. Yeah, absolutely. Certainly in my client meetings, my clients often ask me about my family and they know my story and where I live and they care. So being able to share all of our own struggles as well as our expertise, I think, you know, makes us really relatable. I did hear that you yourself have a mentor and what do you get from that relationship? I've had a long-term, I'm going to call him a mentor, Con Costas, and it's not just Con, I've got a, a few others as well, but it's about someone having you back and also knowing when you can pick up the phone and have a chat because you're having a rotten day or one of the things that I'm not so good at is preparing myself for having a difficult conversation, whether that's with a team member or whether it's me trying to just have my next salary negotiation. I'm not that good at having those difficult conversations or dealing with it. So being able to rephrase and run it past somebody else who I really trust, but who also knows me really well, I think has been invaluable. And I think it's valuable to all of us. So part of this podcast, Kathy, is shining a light on those in leadership in our industry to attract and retain more women and more diverse people to financial advice. Kathy, I often hear that attracting and retaining women in our industry is hard. Given that you've been an employed woman in our industry, a business owner, and now a leader, have you experienced any roadblocks in your career that flexibility or different ways of working have overcome? Uh, yes, definitely. Over the years, a number of things, and the least of which is challenging for any mother who's had kids, is managing that whole work-life balance. Uh, I do think that COVID has delivered us some good aspects and that's the flexibility of people being able to work from home and not necessarily having to also work nine to five. In terms of roadblocks, yes, I've experienced plenty of them. And what I've done over time is to sit down and actually work out, you know, when you come to a crossroad, it's like, how am I going to tackle this? Am I going to just charge on through it? Am I going to turn left? Am I going to turn right? And what obstacles do I need to overcome and actually being quite considered and not too hasty in my response and making sure that my voice is heard. If, as has often been the case, I might be the only woman in the room and there might be five or six others and I'm thinking I'm not being heard, I can still say this conversation isn't finished. Let's come back to that again in another three or four days and pick up where we've left off so that we can all get to an outcome that we're happy with. We have to stand up for what's important to us as women and also for our clients. So it's intentional that I don't refer clients on to external providers, actually facilitate it. We come to the meeting together. We have all of their information. I can ask questions that the client doesn't realise that they need to ask or make sure that everything's covered off. That's probably where the bulk of my learning and experiences come from. And I really enjoy those meetings because every time I'm sure I learn one more little snippet that I maybe didn't know yesterday. Yeah. And do you feel comfortable in asking what might be perceived as the silly questions in front of your clients? No, uh, never. So um, I think it's really important to just put it out there and let the expert, and let's say it's the accounting expert, answer that because there's a lot of complex terminology in all of our professions and people just don't know what they don't know. So education's a key part of what we deliver and 
with education comes knowledge and with knowledge is power to actually act and do things and take things forward. So I think we actually have to open that crack in the door and, and ask more questions for our clients or for ourselves. Right. What would you say to someone who is thinking about a career in financial advice? I'm not just talking about a female, but mm. anyone in, in general. Is the future bright for someone who wants to work in financial advice? It's so exciting to be able to start as a generalist and get across a whole range of different advice and strategies and a whole mix of clients. And then, you know, you can potentially decide to have some sort of specialization, either a niche or a particular client group or some expertise, but it's so much of an exciting career path and so unique with every client case, every scenario is different from the next one. So yeah, every day is interesting and we are being sought out by more and more clients who are either time poor or don't have that expertise to start earlier than perhaps what people used to with seeking advice when typically years ago might have been, you know, you sort of get to your fifties and then you think about it, but certainly people in twenties, thirties and forties are all starting to engage with advice in a way that suits them too, which is awesome. Yeah. And when clients are seeking advice, sometimes it's nice to get that advice from someone that looks a little bit like you. Exactly. Yeah. Similar age, kind of similar circumstances. We're all drawn to people that have some some relatability to ourselves. Female advisors are often actively sought out by women coming out of relationship breakups, especially when their partner might have taken full responsibility for finances and they really need help at that moment and haven't really got any idea where to start. So diversity, I think, is really about relatability and people are drawn to others like themselves and can relate to what they're experiencing and taking away the stigma of that whole concept of I know nothing and I'm really embarrassed that I have no knowledge of finances is you know, a role that we can play. I also think that we have emotional intelligence in spades. Generally, women are really good listeners, active listeners, and we can go quite deep without questioning to get to the crux of what really matters. And if we do that, we can really offer some more profound solutions and outcomes when we really hear what, what matters to our clients. Happy, I read in your bio, your mantra, you have not truly lived until you have done something wonderful for someone who can never possibly repay you. Financial advisors do great things for their clients. They enrich and better people's lives. But how can they extend their expertise back into the community space? Yeah, I think Tara, I'd like to touch on not-for-profit and charity and how does someone make a start there because all of these small organisations with their charitable volunteer boards are crying out for people like us to help guide them and help them go forward. There's a real opportunity for us to all engage with some sort of local charity or some community development and we get so much out of that personally and I certainly have you know, an abundance of warmth and satisfaction. And it's also taken me some really interesting places in Australia that I would never have visited and met some wonderful people. And you just never know where it's going to go, whether it's your kid's soccer club that needs a treasurer for the board or whether it's the local greening Australia charity or whatever it is that's in your local community. We should all get involved and it's very rewarding. It's also then becomes another circle to actually be able to pitch what you do in your day job and it certainly served me well. Now I feel bad for not joining the PNF, Kathy. I'm going to go up to the school. 
You need to do that, Tara. I spent eight years as the president of my son's special school board. The support that they gave us and Brady was one of the most challenging students at that specialist school. I feel like that I got it back in spades. Couldn't have had fonder memories from that. So I always think you get out what you put in. <laughs> and and no doubt you've made some great friendships along the way. Absolutely. Yeah. I've been so many places with Kindred Spirits Foundation and Rhonda, who's the founder, is like a second mother to me. She's a client too, but I regard her more as a second mum. But I do remember I was in a really remote part of the Northern Territory and we were doing a workshop for this community on how they could get their children to be stronger. We were doing strategic planning for like sitting down in the dirt and drawing in the dirt. And then I got a really sad phone call that my stepfather had just died. And these wonderful Aboriginal women just put their arms around me and I'll never forget it. It was amazing. Can you tell us a little bit more about Kindred Spirit? Kindred Spirits. I think it's about 18 years since we created it. So Rhonda had been doing a lot of unstructured philanthropy. She's a psychologist and worked in really remote Aboriginal communities as a teacher for a short time, spent some time in the Alstreet Hospital in the psych ward and realised that that wasn't actually solving any of the problems for the local people. So Rhonda's also from Gippsland, which is where I'm from. So we've managed to support small and remote communities with a lot of underprivileged and multi-generational disadvantage and unemployment. And our focus has really been about if you can give someone something worthwhile to do, then they can get their life on track. We try to be supporting programs that get to grassroots from preschool age children right through their teens. It's about partnering with other not-for-profits in that space as well and what can we do together because no organisation's got all the solutions. So Cathy, you are and continue to be an extraordinarily successful woman in financial services and I really wanted to thank you for your contribution to the industry. What I've heard from you today is that the Cathy Havers team is a success. Your centres of influences, those that you're referring your clients to, those you're getting clients from your friends, your family, your son, your mentors have all contributed to your success and the successful outcome to your clients. You have intentionally built a team of support and expertise around you to deliver great outcomes for clients. Kathy, on behalf of BT, thank you for joining us today. It's been a real pleasure. Thank you, Tara, for the opportunity to chat to everyone. I really appreciate it and for your kind words. It's very humbling. This podcast is for advisor use only. The opinions expressed in this podcast are the presenter's personal opinions. BT accepts no responsibility for the content of the podcasts. Comments may not be attributed to BT or other participants without prior permission. Past performance is not a reliable indicator of future performance.